Hey everyone, Eric Eswai here for the Summons from Gallifrey podcast. This is a podcast focused on Doctor Who. And in this episode, we're going to be continuing our coverage of the War Games, part two. If you haven't heard part one yet, please go back and listen to it. It's a really good episode. I think the War Games is a really great, turning out to be a really great story. If you have any feedback, as always, please send it to mailbag at Summons from Gallifrey. And I'll be sure to go through them when I have a feedback episode. With that out of the way, let's get right into it. Okay, so starting back at episode 6. The guards make their way down the ramp and drag the bodies of Jamie, Russell, and the other two red shirts away. The doctor, Zoe, and Carstairs abandon their hiding spot and leave the area. Zoe and the doctor are worried about Jamie, but they eventually decide to make their way back to the processing room. Meanwhile, the security chief is talking to the scientist and is now convinced that the recent arrival of the resistance group includes people that their people didn't bring. I mean, is four people really a group? But I digress. The scientist at first doesn't believe him, but the security chief mentions Zoe and the doctor and their space-time machine and how the doctor was able to trick the scientist and into modifying their own machinery. Definitely technology that's far beyond anything of 1917 Earth history. The security chief is proposing that the war chief, a time lord, is secretly bringing in his own people to perhaps take over the operation from the warlord. He has no proof, of course, so he's basically ordering the scientist to work with him to help him find some. They've captured the resistance fighters, so before reprocessing them, the scientist is ordered to send anyone unusual to the security chief for questioning. I think we can see that this is going to mean Jamie, but let's continue. Back in the hallways, the doctor, Zoe, and Carstairs are blocked from getting into the processing room by some guards standing outside. They sneak around a back passage through a wardrobe-type room and come to a wall with a locked panel in it. He comes, the doctor comes up with a plan to remove the panel and produces some scissors and scotch tape to help them do it. Zoe and Carstairs place this tape on various points around the panel. Meanwhile, the scientist is using the headgear from the security chief to scan the first resistance fighter. He has nothing special in his brain pattern, so he's led away, past the same wall that the doctor is on. The doctor finishes linking up the scotch tape and wire mesh to override the magnetic power between the panels. It's a little bit murky here, but whatever. He, he's basically just wanting to open the panel without triggering an alarm. He pulls out a sonic screwdriver and uses it to carefully remove the panel. They move it just a small amount just so that they can see into the processing room without being detected. And they see, they see Jamie being led into the examination chair. Zoe and the doctor are really happy to see him alive. The doctor admits that he was hoping that the guns the guards used had a stun setting. The scientist scans his brain with a headgear, and Jamie's brain pattern is totally different. The scientist is now convinced that the security chief was right. He orders the guards to bring Jamie to the security chief. Carstairs and Zoe want to try and help Jamie before he's taken to the security chief, but before any of them can move, the alarm rings and the war chief makes his entrance. Mr. Sideburns himself demands to know why these resistance fighters are being analyzed instead of reprocessed. The scientist starts giving him some explanations about the fact that they're so different and could make good leaders. The war chief wants to know why Jamie is being sent to the security chief for questioning. He starts shouting at the scientist for some answers. Eventually the scientist reveals that his brain pattern is different. He's never been processed before. The war chief is intrigued, but he lets them go, and then leaves the room himself. The scientist then motions the guards to immediately start reprocessing the other two NPCs, basically who are with Russell and Jamie. He doesn't even bother giving them the same treatment, he just throws them into the reprocessing machine right away. While the scientist is adjusting the machine, the doctor, Zoe, and Carstairs make their move. They quietly remove the panel the rest of the way, and then Carstairs sneaks behind the one guard remaining and knocks him out. With a big smile, the doctor helps the scientist adjust the last gear in the processing machine. 
cut back to the barn. A single resistance fighter with a rifle on Von Weich, who's sitting in a chair. Von Weich wants to know how long he's going to be held captive, and the resistance fighter responds with, until they get back. But then Von Weich asks him, well, what if they don't come back? Cut to Jamie in the security chief's office, who is now fully awake and sitting up. The chief is using the truth detector. He's intent on finding out why Jamie came to their planet and if they were specifically summoned. Jamie is denying as much as he can, explaining that the doctor can't steer the TARDIS, and nobody summoned them. The alarm rings, and the war chief comes into the room. It doesn't take long for the war chief to get to the point. He tells the security chief that if he's not trusted, then to bring his concerns directly to the warlord, but be sure to have irrefutable proof, otherwise the war chief will crush him. Meanwhile, the doctor is waking up the two resistance fighters in the processing room with some smelling salts. They're coming in really handy, this story. Carstairs urges them to hurry up and kills one of the security guards just outside. They rush back through the panel and seal it up before more security guards return. The resistance fighters, all two of them, are dead set on taking the command center by storm, but the doctor talks them down from that ledge. His plan is to return to the time zones and find all the resistance leaders to form one large army to return and attack the command center. Thanks to Zoe and the list of all the people she saw in the security chief's truth machine. We cut back to the barn. Von Weich manages to convince the resistance fighter named Moore to get his monocle out of his pocket where he puts it on. The Jedi mind trick music comes on again and he starts to mesmerize the fighter. The slightly distracting thing in the scene is that they're doing a close-up of Von Weich and on the side of his face with a scar, you can see a plastic see-through tape holding the scar on. It's really, really subtle. Uh, you can only detect it if you pause it and look very, very carefully. But it's kind of, kind of funny. Anyways, it works and he gets more done time. Back in the command center, the war chief and the security chief are just outside the processing room with guards. They rush into the room to find it empty. The security chief proposes that they escaped using a space-time machine. The war chief looks at the panels on the wall and sees that one is slightly different and pops it open. Mr. Sideburns tells the guards to head to the landing area. Meanwhile, in the security chief's office, the Dr. Zoe and Carstairs are all dressed up in the large World War I cloaks, complete with gas masks. They wake Jamie up and fit him with the same disguise. They all march in orderly fashion to get to the hangar bay. They arrive and take out the hangar control tower dude, basically the one that operates the travel machines. While he's fiddling at the machine, Zoe looks over and points at some guards. Oh my goodness, yells the doctor very loudly. It's kind of funny. The delivery is pretty loud, which immediately draws their attention. He does more panel fiddling and a force field comes up in front of the guards but not before two guards make it through into the hangar bay. Instant melee brawl between the two guards and resistance fighters, but Jamie and Russell easily take them out. The doctor calls a travel machine to the hangar and urges Zoe along with the two resistance fighters to go in, and he sets the machine back to the 1917 zone. The doctor, Carstairs, and Jamie are staying behind to try and get their hands on the processing machine. Back at the barn, Von Weich is still mesmerizing more, and it's clearly working. Just then, the travel machine shows up in the barn. Von Weich orders Moore to shoot them. Zoe and one of the fighters sees Moore with a rifle, and they duck back into the travel machine. But Russell stays behind and slowly walks towards Moore, trying to reconvince them that they're part of the resistance. They end up fistfighting, with Russell punching Moore down. Russell stands up to see that Von Weich has a gun in his hands and threatens to kill Russell when a shot rings out. Von Weich falls to the ground, dead. Moore had picked up a rifle from the ground and used it. Back in the control center, the Dr. Jamin Carstairs are back in the processing room. The doctor takes the processing machine and they hide it in a canvas bag. They run out to head back to the landing area, not noticing the scientist hiding nearby watching them leave. They make it back to the hangar bay, which is loaded with guards. They have their gas masks on, and the doctor throws down a gas grenade. In the confusion, they make their way into a travel machine. The door closes behind them, but the travel machine doesn't start moving. 
The doctor realizes that the security guards are controlling machine from their main console. He starts working on a small panel inside to try and override the control and let the machine escape. Suddenly, the voice of the security chief comes on in a loudspeaker. Surrender and we'll let you live. The doctor's not too worried because he knows that the guards can't break into the machine. They're impenetrable. The security chief is content to wait them out, but not the war chief. He pushes the control tower dude out of the way and starts fiddling with the panel himself. Suddenly, Carstairs notices that the walls of the travel machine are starting to collapse. All three start yelling as the war chief tells them they have 30 seconds or they'll be crushed to death. Cliffhanger! Yeah, still looking for that sound effect. Episode 7 Jamie, the doctor, and Carstairs are yelling as the inner walls of the travel machine enclose them from all sides, getting smaller and smaller. The doctor admits that they have no choice. The travel machine door opens and the doctor crawls out waving a white handkerchief as a truce flag. He's trying to bargain with the war chief. But as they're talking, he suddenly throws down another gas grenade and covers his mouth with the handkerchief. The doctor runs over to the control board and steals some of the control pieces in the confusion. He then runs back into the travel machine. The door closes and it dematerializes. The gas clears, the war chief recovers, and he calls the doctor ingenious. The security chief orders an alert for all zones. The war chief suspects they might be heading back to the 1917 zone. Inside the travel machine, the doctor is saying they'll go to any zone but the 1917 zone. Meanwhile, the war chief and security chief are in the map room, working to locate the doctor's travel machine. I believe they refer to it as the war room, so I'll call it the war room from here on out. We finally hear that these travel machines are called SIDRATS, S-I-D-R-A-T, Space and Intertime Dimensional Robot All-Purpose Transporter. The war chief can't locate it until it materializes. Another alarm bell rings, and the war chief and security chief both look at each other. The warlord is arriving. The war chief leaves to meet the warlord, leaving the security chief to deal with the doctor. On board the Sidrat, the doctor, Jamie, and Carstairs are having a small snack when suddenly it materializes again. The machine lands in the Roman zone, instantly alerting the security chief who dispatches guards to surround the Sidrat. The warlord and war chief have quietly entered the room and overhear the security chief giving the orders. The warlord wants to know what's going on. He gets, he gets upset upon hearing that the new processing machine has been stolen. The security chief assures them that it's only a matter of time before they catch the rebels. The warlord drops to a normal voice saying, then I hope time is on your side. It's a great line in delivery. Meanwhile, the doctor, Jamie and Carstairs are wandering through the Roman zone, trying to make sense of the map. The doctor asks where they are and Carstairs is finally able to pinpoint them at being at the same place they were when they were attacked last time. At which point all three of them stop and look at each other. Cut to some reused footage of the Romans charging down the hill, yelling with swords drawn, running towards them, which is the same footage they used. They run backwards towards the time zone barrier and end up back in the 1917 zone. Back in the war room. The war chief and security chief are again trading barbs at each other, trying to one-up themselves in front of the warlord. The argument really ratchets up this time, as the security chief concludes that the war chief has summoned the doctor and his companions, because only the war chief has the knowledge of space-time travel. The warlord gets irritated and shouts them both down to shut up. He offers them both a choice, work together or be replaced, aka killed. The Doctor, Jamie, and Carstairs show up in the 1917 zone in No Man's Land. As they run down the hill, they're spotted by a British soldier who gets on the telephone with General Smythe's office. The aide on the other end of the line runs to General Smythe with a report and shows them on a map where they are. How convenient, he says, right next to a machine gun emplacement. Cut to the Doctor, Jamie, and Carstairs making their way down a hill when suddenly a machine gun opens fire on their position. They manage to make it to cover just in time. Suddenly behind the machine gun nest appears Zoe, 
with two resistance fighters. They take out the machine gunners with ease. Zoe is about to yell towards the doctor when she spots that the doctor, Jamie, and Carstairs are now surrounded by a British patrol. She tells the resistance fighters not to fire the machine gun on them. They'll have to follow them. Back into General Smy's office, they all go. There won't be another trial this time, as the doctor still has his sentence waiting for him. Jamie and Carstairs will be sent to the most dangerous trench in the zone for the next push. Carstairs tries to tell the General's aide that they're not even on their own planet, and the General isn't even human. But then the Jedi mind music comes on as the General brings out his glasses to mesmerize the aide into calling Carstairs delirious. As an aside, it's kind of unfortunate that nobody else notices this happening whenever someone pulls out their glasses or their monocle. It's pretty obvious. Like it would have been kind of an interesting twist, a story twist, if maybe Jamie grabs Smy's glasses and smashes them, or perhaps uses them on the general himself to kind of get what they want. I think that would be kind of neat. At any rate, the doctor is led away to a firing squad while Jamie and Carstairs are under guard. Smythe returns to his room and contacts the war room. The war chief tells him that the doctor has the new processing machine and it must be recovered. Smythe comes back out only to hear from Jamie and Carstairs that only the doctor knows where the machine is. Smythe starts to get nervous as he hears outside the window the aide prepping the firing squad for the doctor. Smythe shouts out the window to stop just as resistance fighters attack the chateau. Smythe rushes back into his room while Jamie and Carstairs overpower their guards with ease. The doctor, Zoe and Russell burst into the room with resistance fighters. The doctor yells at them that they must stop Smythe, so they rush into Smythe's room. Meanwhile, Smythe is on the communicator urging the war chief to send help immediately. The war chief is ordering him to deactivate the area control immediately. Smythe pops open another hidden panel, and it's full of some kind of machinery, maybe like a self-destruct mechanism, something like that. Just as he's working on it, Russell bursts into the room and kills Smythe with a gunshot. The doctor goes over to look at the machinery, while Zoe turns off the communication device. Back in the war room, the warlord, war chief, and security chief are looking at each other. Upon hearing that the doctor has the ability to use the processing machine, the warlord shouts at the other two that reclaiming it is their highest priority. The security chief wants to attack the chateau with security forces. The war chief wants to use an artillery barrage. But the warlord vetoes both suggestions and comes up with his own. He wants all the armies in the 1917 zone to attack the chateau from both sides in a pincer movement. Back in the chateau, everyone realizes that they're being quickly surrounded and they don't have any time to escape. The doctor asks Russell and Carstairs to hold the line while he has an idea to create a safe zone for them to use as an HQ. The doctor rushes back into Smythe's room and enlists the help of Zoe to dismantle the machine to figure it out while Jamie goes out to help Russell and Carstairs. Both the German and British armies are closing in around the chateau. Russell and the others are fighting back but they're getting outnumbered extremely quickly as you might imagine. A grenade comes in through the window and Jamie throws it back outside while Russell grabs the daring soldier who threw it at them. Carstairs runs back to warn the doctor that the line is collapsing when the doctor announces that he's ready. He flicks a switch on the machine and he and Zoe share a smile together. There's instant silence from outside. They come back out to join the others where the doctor explains that he's surrounded the chateau with a time zone barrier so no processed humans can harm them. Back in the war room, as the war chief and security chief trade a few barbs, the warlord tells them that they both failed. He will now take over the operation to get rid of this resistance group and the doctor. Meanwhile in the chateau, the doctor uses the processing machine on the captured soldier. It finishes and the thing, and the thing worked. However, the soldier only speaks French and is naturally confused about his surroundings. While Carstairs tries to explain to him what's going on, Russell is pleased the machine works, but it'll take forever to convert soldiers if they have to process them one at a time. Just then, they hear the sound of another Sidrat arriving. They rush into Smy's room with their guns drawn. The Sidrat lands, and some security guards pour out of it. They gun down some of the resistance fighters with their sonic guns. The doctor is trying to hide the processing machine, 
but the security chief runs out and grabs both the doctor and the processing machine while the security group are pinning down the rest of the resistance fighters. They rush back into the Sidrat, and it dematerializes just as Jamie, Zoe, and Russell run back into the room. Cliffhanger! Episode 8. The Sidrat lands back in the, in the control center, and the security team escorts the doctor away. Back in the resistance HQ, Carstairs and Jamie are kicking themselves for not being prepared for an attack from the control center. They form a new plan of defense. Russell's men finds a machine gun to set up in the room to guard for an attack. Back in the war room, the warlord hands the processing machine to the security chief and asks him to give it to the scientists, who will take it back to their home planet for mass production. In the security chief's office, the security chief is trying to interrogate the doctor with the truth helmet to get him to admit that he and the war chief are plotting together because they're the same race. The doctor is resisting all the attempts so far, and it's not clear whether it's easy or hard. His expression doesn't change. Back in the resistance HQ, Russell finishes setting up the machine gun and orders that it be manned at all times. Russell comes out to join the others, and it's clear that Carstairs has assumed command. Jamie is getting impatient and wants to rescue the doctor. Carstairs has got the time zone map out, and he and Zoe agree that the best way to help the doctor is to continue the plan of contacting the other resistance groups to join up together. Zoe starts reciting the resistance group leaders and the zones they're in. Russell recommends that they contact Arturo Villar from the Mexican Civil War Zone, as he's got one of the largest groups. Suddenly there's the sound of another arriving Sidrat. Russell runs into the room to help the machine gunners. They fire their machine gun, which scares some of the guards but one of them is able to use his sonic gun to shoot the two soldiers that are using the machine gun. Russell bends down to pick up the fallen machine gun with, with his bare hands when Carstairs runs in and throws a grenade into the Sidrat door. There's an explosion, the door closes, and the Sidrat dematerializes. Russell urges Zoe to write more names down. They'll both leave immediately to get a meeting with every resistance group they can contact. Meanwhile, the security chief has the truth helmet set to the highest intensity level, trying to force the doctor to admit that he's in league with the war chief. The war chief enters and demands the doctor be released to him. He will interrogate him his own way. After they leave, the security chief contacts the warlord. Meanwhile, in the war, in the war room, the war chief orders everyone out, leaving just him and the doctor. He tells the doctor that even though he's changed appearances, he knows who he is. They're both the same, renegades from their own people. The doctor obviously bristles at this. The war chief finally reveals his master plan. The purpose of the war games is to recruit armies vicious enough to conquer the rest of the universe. Man is so bloodthirsty and vicious that they make the best recruits. He extends an offer to the doctor to join their effort. Meanwhile, at the resistance HQ, everyone left is falling asleep. Arturo and some of his men sneak into the room and knock out just about everyone except for Zoe. He wakes her up and demands that she get the man in charge. She grabs a sleeping Jamie and tells him that he's got to convince Arturo to join with them. Arturo doesn't think highly of women, but Zoe manages to make enough sense that he agrees to stay and wait for Russell and Carstairs to return for the meeting. Back in the war room, the war chief is listing all the war zones they have set up in order to filter out the necessary humans for their armies. Just then, the warlord and security chief both enter the room. They are distrustful of both time lords, but the war chief informs them that the doctor is also a fugitive from the race, and he came here by accident. He tells them that the doctor will help him destroy the resistance. The warlord agrees, but he warns the two time lords that they will both die if they fail. After they leave, the doctor is upset at being voluntold by the war chief, but the war chief reveals that he's planning to become the ultimate leader, if the doctor can help him against the warlord. Back at the resistance HQ, the meeting is in full swing. Arturo and I think a Russian resistance leader are talking with Russell, Carstairs, and Zoe. Eventually they convince Arturo that they have the means to attack the command center via a Sidrat. After Arturo agrees, they decide that it's too time-consuming for the resistance groups to make their way to the chateau, so Jamie points out the barn in the American zone, which they all agree to. 
they come up with a plan to distract the security chief's forces. In the Roman zone, some resistance fighters destroy the communications device, which sends an alarm to the war room. The security chief orders a repair team and a guard to go to the Roman zone. The resistance in the Crimean war zone is also destroying their communications device with some dynamite. The security chief gets an alert about the Crimean war zone and this time orders a squad of guards to be sent there. Back in the resistance HQ, they've got the time zone map on the wall with pins in the Roman and Crimean zones. Their plan is to knock out as many communications as they can, which is going to force the security chief to spread out his security forces from the control center. One by one, the war zones are being disrupted. With all the zones apart from the American Civil War zone disrupted, Carstairs tells them to begin phase two. They all leave for the barn. Back in the war room, the security chief finally sees what is happening, but concludes that the attack will come from the only zone left, the American Civil War zone. The war chief points out that he's left their base defenseless against a mass attack. But the warlord comes up with an idea to take care of the resistance and to test the doctor's loyalty. Back in the barn, all the forces are gathered. Carstairs is about to destroy the communications device when the doctor's face comes on. Jamie and Zoe rush to the unit to talk to the doctor. He tells them that he can send a Sidrat, but he only wants a small group, just the leaders, to come back to the control center. Arturo, Jamie, Zoe, Carstairs, Russell, and a handful of resistance fighters enter the Sidrat, leaving the Russian leader in charge of the remaining forces in the barn. The Sidrat materializes in the hangar bay where their doctor is waiting for them. He greets them all as they exit and tells them they're going to take over the war room. Suddenly, security guards pour into the room and the doctor shouts at them to stand still, that they're all surrounded. He then runs back to join the war chief and security chief, who are standing with the guards. Thank you, doctor, says the war chief, a nice little package for us to dispose of. Cliffhanger! Episode 9. Boy, this is really building up. You might say that the resistance leaders are a little bit upset. The war chief orders them to be disarmed and taken away to the processing room. The security chief wants to also arrest the doctor, but the war chief successfully advocates for him. Everyone clears out, leaving the war chief and the doctor alone in the war room. The doctor is having trouble understanding why the war chief needs him, as he's perfectly capable of space-time travel mechanics. But as they're discussing the Sidrats, the doctor realizes that the, while the war chief is a genius, he's hit a limiting factor with his engineering. He could build the remote control dimensional machines, but they all have a limited lifespan. The doctor realizes that the war chief needs his TARDIS. They're now stuck together. The war chief needs the doctor and his TARDIS once they take control of the warlord's armies, while the doctor needs the war chief to help keep him alive long enough from the warlord and security chief. Meanwhile, the resistance leaders, Carstairs, Zoe, and Jamie are led into the processing room. All the leaders want the doctor's head and vow to kill him. But Jamie and Zoe stay cool and try to argue that the doctor wanted them there for a reason and he didn't betray them. Back in the war room, the warlord is suspicious about the doctor's sudden turn. The doctor manages to convince him that he can contribute to the warlord's effort by enhancing the processing machines to make them more effective. The warlord agrees and gives the doctor a chance and orders him to the processing room to work on his friends. After he leaves, the warlord tells the war chief to take out the remaining resistance left in the American Civil War zone with their conventional forces. Once that's done, the communication modules on each zone are to be restored and all the security forces returned from every zone to the control center. Then the war games can recommence. Back in the processing room, everyone is surprised to discover that the doctor is there to reprocess them. The security chief leaves the doctor alone pulling out all his guards. Arturo decides to be the first one to kill him, and he starts moving towards a protesting doctor. The security chief rejoins the war chief in the main war room. The war chief assures him that the resistance fighters are encircled and will soon be crushed. But then he's shocked to hear that the security chief has left the doctor alone, without any guards. So the war chief leaves to go help the doctor. Meanwhile, the security chief walks over to an aide on the controls and asks him to replay back everything that was recorded in the room. Back in the processing room, 
The doctor is trying to explain they'll all be dead if it wasn't for his help, but obviously they're not believing him and they're intent on killing him. The war chief shows up just in time and restores some order. In the war room, the security chief listens to the entire conversation between the war chief and the doctor. To hear the war chief propose to the doctor that he will become supreme ruler with the doctor's help. He stops the tape with a smile, saying, I knew it. Back in the processing room, Jamie is being processed by the enhanced machine of the doctors. The doctor promises the war chief that when the processing finishes, Jamie will think he's a Highlander fighting the Redcoats in 1745. Jamie stands up out of the processing chair, and the war chief asks him who he is and where he is. It's almost immediately obvious that the processing didn't actually do anything. Jamie is just playing along and acting out what the doctor is prompting him to say. At this point, Jamie is hamming it up quite a lot. The war chief gives him a pretty weird look for a moment. It's honestly kind of hard to tell right now if the war chief suspects that something is going on and doesn't say anything, thinking that'll work to his favor, or if he's really fooled by Jamie's terrible acting. He tells the doctor that he can process the others just as effectively right away. The war chief leaves the room. The war chief returns to the war room to find the security chief there. The war chief accuses him of disobeying the warlord and orders him arrested, but the guards don't move. The security chief orders the aide to play back the recording of, how, of the war chief saying that he'll become supreme ruler with the doctor's help. The security chief then orders the war chief arrested. The guards are to take him to the security bay and, and to collect the doctor along the way. Meanwhile, the doctor has processed everyone and is finishing with Arturo. Arturo gets up and at first laughs at the doctor while trying to choke him, and the others rush over and whisper to him to play along like they are. He suddenly realizes that the doctor was helping them all along and starts to laugh, giving the doctor a big slap on the back. The doctor tells them that the warlord was about to drop a neutron bomb on the zone, which would have killed everyone. Suddenly the war chief arrives, escorted by the two guards. As they walk into the room, Jamie, Carstairs, and Arturo easily subdue the two guards from behind. The war chief admits that their little arrangement has been discovered and that he is under arrest. He warns the doctor that once the security guards return from the zones, they won't stand a chance. He says the landing bay guards don't know of his arrest yet, so they can make their escape quickly. Arturo demands that they first retrieve their guns. In the war room, the security chief is starting to make a broadcast to all the security personnel in the zones to start returning when suddenly Jamie, Carstairs, Arturo, Russell, and the others burst into the room. They quickly kill the guards. The security chief manages to crawl over to another gun, but then is gunned down himself by the war chief in the most drawn out, overly acted death scene that I've seen in a long time. The doctor wants the war chief to cease all the fighting in the zones, and then they'll start using the Sidrats to return everyone home to their respective time zones. But the war chief reveals that there's only two working Sidrats left. The doctor says that there's only one thing left to do to help everyone get back home. The war chief becomes a little scared. If you contact them, it will be the end of us. Russell sticks a gun in the war chief's face, so he walks over to the global intercom and sends out a message to all the zones to stop the fighting by order of the warlord. The doctor explains that the only ones able to help return all the humans are his own people, the Time Lords. Jamie and Zoe are relieved, but clearly not the doctor. The doctor pulls out six squares and sits down on the floor. He arranges the squares in a little bit of a circle pattern around him. He closes his eyes and starts to focus. After a few moments, the squares all move together to form a cube. It's pretty cool. The doctor then explains to everyone that the cube now holds all of his knowledge about what's been happening here in the war games, along with an appeal for help. He stands up and puts the cube in his pocket. They look around and the doctor realizes that the war chief has escaped. They rush out heading to the landing bay to, to stop him. Meanwhile, the war chief has made it to the landing bay and he uses the control board to call up a Sidrat. As the machine materializes, Two security guards stop him from entering the machine, and he turns around to face the warlord. 
Even though the color is in black and white, you can tell the war chief is turning pretty pale. He tries to tell the warlord that the resistance has taken over the war room and they must leave immediately. But the warlord tells him that he's killed the security chief too late. He's heard the recording. The warlord orders the war chief executed. There's another long drawn out death as the war chief is dealt with by the sonic guns. As the security guards take away the body of the war chief, the warlord is using the control board to call a Sidrat to take him back to their home planet to regroup and deal with the uprising. Suddenly the doctor's group storms the landing bay in a pretty ridiculous fight scene. Arturo's pointing his guns to the ground and firing while the security guards are falling over dead. Jamie and Russell take out the last few guards with a few punches. They hold the warlord. The doctor wants to leave on his own before the Time Lords get there and is trying to say goodbye to, jo to Zoe and Jamie. But they refuse to let him go by himself, so he finally agrees to let them come with him along with Carstairs who wants to find Lady Buckingham. He pulls the cube out of the pocket and sits down on the floor in front of him. He does some more focus work and the cube starts to hum and then finally it vanishes. The doctor stands up and says some quick goodbyes and rushes Jamie, Zoe and Carstairs into the Sidrat. There's an eerie whistling that soon starts to surround the landing bay. The warlord just says, they're here. Back in the 1917 zone, it's all quiet. The doctor, Jamie and Zoe all say a quick goodbye to Carstairs and run towards the TARDIS. Jamie looks behind them to see Carstairs just vanish in a white light. They hear the, an eerie sound all over them as they are within steps of the TARDIS. Everything starts to slow down. We must get away, yells the doctor in slow motion. They're all crawling really slowly by the time they get to this TARDIS door. The doctor has the key to the TARDIS door in his hand and is just about to use it when they all collapse to the ground, unable to move. Cliffhanger! Here we go, everyone. Last episode. Holy smokes. Can't believe we're here already. What a story. We pick up right where we left off in episode 9. Zoe, Jamie, and the Doctor can no longer move in front of the TARDIS. The Doctor says it's a force field that they must try and focus. They manage to get the TARDIS open, and the three of them crawl inside. The Doctor tries to pilot the TARDIS away from the incoming Time Lords. We get a few morsels of explanation here as the Doctor explains his situation to Zoe and Jamie. The Doctor is part of a race of beings called the Time Lords, which is an ancient and civilized group of people. They're so civilized that they have the knowledge of space-time travel, but they only observe the rest of the universe. The Doctor explains that he was bored and wanted to visit other worlds and see things for himself. He admits that he may have broken some of the Time Lord rules by getting involved in every place he visits. Zoe tries to make the point that he's helped out so many people in worlds, but the Doctor explains that the Time Lords won't see it that way. Interference is interference. The TARDIS suddenly lands, which worries the Doctor. He sees that they've landed on top of some water, but he claims that they're safe as long as they stay inside the TARDIS. Suddenly some water spurts out of the controls and they freak out. The Doctor realizes that the Time Lords are breaking down the TARDIS's defense mechanisms. He dematerializes and they land in outer space. Just as the Doctor says that they're safe, a big booming voice tells the Doctor that he must return the TARDIS to Gallifrey and face his trial. The Doctor tries to escape again, but soon he's lost control of the TARDIS. It's being controlled by the Time Lords. They soon land, and Jamie and Zoe look on the viewfinder to see that they're in a futuristic city of some kind. Well, futuristic hallway. It's my home planet, says the Doctor. The Time Lords have brought us here. The Doctor is resigned to his fate, and the group leave the TARDIS together. A tall dude in a long robe orders the group to follow him. He leads them into a room, which is pretty much a courtroom. The Warlord is also standing there in the middle of the room. The group have arrived during his trial. A group of three Time Lords are standing together to oversee the whole trial. One of them is recounting the entire plot of the Warlord and his people, wherein they forced untold numbers of humans 
to fight and die on a planet that they thought was Earth. All of the survivors have been returned home and to their proper times. He continues to describe how this evil plan was just a phase in a, in a grander scheme to take over the entire galaxy and subjugate it to his will. The doctor is whispering to Jamie and Zoe that this trial is extremely rare because the Time Lords normally don't get involved. They call the doctor forward, who then steps into the middle of the room. The Time Lords asks him to swear upon his evidence, to which the doctor states that it is all as he directly observed. The Time Lords ask the Warlord for his words of defense, but he stays quiet, refusing to speak. The doctor accuses him of stalling. After more urging from the Time Lords, they then focus their minds and force the Warlord to say something in his defense. He admits to the charges, but then he goes on to say that he had help from the War Chief, who was himself a Time Lord and even had the Doctor's help with the scheme. The Doctor fiercely denies having any part in the Warlord's plans. Meanwhile, back in the TARDIS, some Time Lord mechanics are doing something in the Doctor's TARDIS, it's unclear what, when one of them goes outside. Sidrat materializes nearby, and the curious mechanic moves closer. The door slides open, and some of the Warlord's security guards come out and shoot the mechanic dead. The other mechanic comes out of the TARDIS to see what's going on, and he gets shot down as well. Back in the courtroom, the Time Lords are not impressed by the Warlord's defense, and are in the process of announcing his guilt and sentence when the security forces burst into the room. The Warlord refuses to acknowledge the Time Lord court and leaves with his men, taking the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe prisoner. The Time Lords don't lift a finger, as they don't want to harm any of the innocent bystanders. The Warlord and his men drag the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe back into the TARDIS, which is very dimly lit, by the way. The Warlord orders the Doctor to take him to their home planet, or he'll kill Zoe. The Doctor makes it look like he's going to take off, but then he flicks a switch and yells at Jamie and Zoe to run. A blinding light and piercing sound come on, which confuses the Warlord and his men. The Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe run outside the TARDIS and towards the waiting Time Lords who are waiting outside. As the security guards and the Warlord run out, they find themselves surrounded by a force field. The Time Lords pronounce him guilty of all charges and have also placed a force field around their home planet to imprison them forever. They sentence the Warlord and his security guards to be dematerialized, erased from time itself. They all disappear. Jamie and Zoe start to head back towards the TARDIS when they find themselves in another force field. It's time for the Doctor's own trial. They'll be held there until it's over, but they obviously start yelling that they want to join the Doctor. In the courtroom, the Time Lords have charged the Doctor with breaking their most important rule of non-interference in other worlds, basically their own prime directive. The Doctor proudly states that he is guilty as charged. While they have only been observing the evil in the galaxy, he has been fighting it. When they ask him if his actions were justified, the doctor asks for permission to use a view screen to show him who he's fought against and stopped. The doctor shows them several monsters, such as the Yeti, the Ice Warriors, the Cybermen, and the Daleks, explaining how evil they all were. He exclaims that he's guilty of interference, but they're guilty of doing nothing but observing, while others are in need. The trial is over, but the doctor has given the Time Lords a lot to consider. They'll recall him when they finish deliberating. Patrick Troughton makes a hilarious eye-roll face at this. The, the force field around Jamie and Zoe finally vanishes. The same attendant that escorted them before is there again to take them away. They'll be returned to their own planets and times. But they refuse. They first want to see the doctor. The attendant is curious about their attachment, so he agrees to take them to him. The doctor is waiting in a little bit of a prison area with a force field around him. Jamie and Zoe beg the attendant to let them see the doctor without the force field, so he agrees and he leaves them. The group get excited about being left alone without the force field, so they convince the doctor that they can make their escape. The three run off back towards the TARDIS. They run through some funky floors with dry ice everywhere and some giant plastic streamers hanging down. It's a, the setting is a little bit weird, but whatever. Anyways, they make it back to the TARDIS, where the Time Lords are waiting for them. They tell the Doctor that it's time to say goodbye to Jamie and Zoe. Jamie and Zoe start protesting, but the Doctor realizes that this is finally it. 
He says goodbye to Jamie and then to Zoe. The Time Lords lead them into the Sidrat and it dematerializes. They explain to the Doctor that they'll remember their first adventure with the Doctor, but the rest of their time with the Time Lord will be erased from their memory. They've made their decision and it's time to return to the courtroom for the verdict. They arrive in the room and the Doctor sees both Zoe and Jamie on the view screen, return to their points where they first met the Doctor. Zoe is in the wheel in space while Jamie is back in Scotland. The Time Lords then reconvene. They accept the Doctor's plea that there is great evil in the universe and that the Doctor has a part to play in fighting it. The Doctor looks a little surprised. So is he free to go? The Time Lords look at each other. They tell him that due to his interest in frequency of visits to the planet Earth, he will be sent there in the 20th century in exile. He is to remain there so long as the Time Lords deem it necessary. For the duration of his exile, the secrets of the TARDIS will also be hidden from the Doctor's mind. The Doctor starts to protest about being in exile on a primitive planet during a primitive time. He says that his appearance is well known there. So the Time Lords inform him that part of his sentence is another regeneration. The Doctor starts protesting at this being done without his consultation. So they agree and start showing him options for his regeneration. But the Doctor finds fault with every single one that he's being shown. One is too old, one is too young, one is too fat, one is too thin. So the Time Lords make the decision for him. While the Doctor is making a speech about the importance that the people of Earth place on appearance, his face starts twisting up as he's talking and he starts to disappear. There's a sequence now kind of similar to the beginning of Superman 2 with General Zod and the other two prisoners going through space in that big square shape together. So this is kind of the same idea uh, with the second doctor. The doctor is spinning around in a circle uh, with eight copies of his head moving around. Um, it's kind of neat, but the Time Lords basically tell him that his exile is beginning. The doctor keeps repeating, no, 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 as he gets smaller and smaller and finally disappears. And that's the end of the war games, everyone. What a story. Holy smokes. Okay, just like the last episode, let's go through the numbers. Episode 6 at 4.2 million viewers. Episode 7, 4.9. Episode 8, 3.5. Episode 9, 4.1. And episode 10, 5.0 million people. This one definitely deserves the epic title to go along with the 10 episode length. It had pretty meager viewer numbers, but it was definitely a pivotal story within the whole Doctor Who franchise that opened up a lot of doors for basically the rest of their run. The end is a little bit goofy with Troughton hamming it up quite a lot during the final sentencing, but otherwise it w I found it to be a really engaging story. At the end of our last episode, you might recall that I was asking a few questions. Why don't we go through them and see if they were answered? So the first one, what is the ultimate goal of this operation? We did find out this one. The goal was to raise an army of human soldiers and train them to conquer the galaxy for the warlord and his people. Who was the sniper? Well, we never get the answer to that one. I'm actually glad that they smartly chose to not dive too much into the why of their operation. No matter how many soldiers they had, if the warlord was able to drop a single neutron bomb on them, then how the heck would they be any kind of threat to the rest of the galaxy? Anyways, it was pretty interesting that the quality of attention on the two companions almost flipped entirely in the latter five episodes. In the first five, Jamie was very prominent, handling a lot of the action, while Zoe was just standing around most, most of the time doing, not, doing nothing. In the second five episodes, Zoe was integral to helping the Doctor quite a few times, while Jamie was just left around standing around not doing too much in his scenes, apart from the occasional fight scene. Speaking of not doing much, it was sad to see Lady Jennifer Buckingham not be involved so much in the second half of the story as much as she was in the first half. She got written out during episode five. While the pacing in the show was pretty good, the quality of the fight scenes kind of weren't. Not sure what happened, but everything was really strong up until the last act in the, in the command center. The fight choreography was mostly laughable when the story was supposed to be reaching more of a climax. The Warlord, played by Philip Maddock, was excellent. Definitely he had the most facial hair, which gave him the superior ranking over the Warchief, 
who just had the rocking sideburns. Speaking of which, the war chief was played by Edward Bradeshaw and he totally nailed it. Definitely deserves the title of war chief sideburns. Given how skimpy the war room and Gallifrey were in terms of set design, it's pretty clear that Maloney chose to spend the money in the main locations of the first five episodes, such as the trenches, the chateau, the barn. These were all really fantastic set pieces. I did find that the constant arguing between the war chief and the security chief got pretty repetitive. We get it guys, you don't trust each other. We got it. Move along. The security chief's line delivery also got really annoying that I wanted him to be shot a lot earlier. It's not any comment against James Bree, the actor. He played it as well as the character was written, but just the, 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 the loud monotone that he had to deliver his lines in got pretty annoying. The mesmerizing Jedi mind tricks of General Smythe were really great, but I am surprised that before his death, they didn't make a point of one of the resistance fighters grabbing and smashing his glasses, or maybe trying to use it back on the general in order for him to report something fake back to the war room. Apart from that, it was a stronger regeneration story, I felt, than the Tenth Planet. I know we're not exactly comparing apples to apples, considering the war games are ten episodes, with the Tenth Planet only being four, but the solid construction of the ten episodes were really strong, and I think really, really delivered a fantastic story. With these last five episodes, I give it four TARDISes out of five. Maybe putting... The whole story together as a 4 out of 5 or 8 out of 10 for me. I think that the, the, the setting was really strong. The settings, sorry, were really strong. The design was pretty great considering the time and budget they must have been working with. The acting was strong. The characters were, were well written. It was definitely fascinating to get a glimpse into the mythology of the Time Lords and to start bringing that into the Doctor Who universe. I think it was all that part was well executed. I did think that the overall, while it was a really cool idea, the overall plan by the warlord and his people was kind of lame. No matter how many humans they would have kidnapped from Earth to play out their, their soldier games, there's no way they would have been any kind of credible threat to other races in the galaxy. I think uh, if they can all be taken out by one bomb, then it it makes for a pretty weak army. I think it may have helped the story. I know it's not important, but it may have helped the story a little bit if we had some kind of glimpse of what else the Warlord's forces had. So maybe if they had like a, a fleet of empty spaceships, but if they had like a, a navy of some kind, like empty ships that were just waiting to be filled by all the people that they're going to be using from the war games, uh, something like that to give you the sense of a much larger operation that they were running. Um, you, I felt that just having, just having the human soldiers alone wouldn't have been enough to really take over anything. Uh, maybe their own part of the art, maybe their own part of the galaxy, maybe, but the rest of the universe, I don't know. Anyways, I think it was a really great story. I was, I'm so happy to be able to deliver it to you. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with me. If you have any feedback, please send it to mailbag at summonsfromgallifrey.com. And in the next episode, come join us as we go into John Pertwee's first story, Spearhead from Space. Until then, have a good week, everyone. Peace.